Good evening. Good evening. Brother Danny, the singing sounded so good, I was ready for another verse. <laughs> All right, well, this evening, let's, let's dive into the Lord's Word and let's be rest assured that rest occurs for God's children. So if you have your Bibles, be opening up with me to Hebrews chapter 3. We're actually going to begin reading in the uh, seventh verse, and our studies actually start in the next chapter. So, okay, we're getting the context here about disobedience and obedience, what happened to the house of Israel. We get an account of them. Of course, time and time again, we see the, the hardness of, of men's hearts and even the, the house of Israel or the Jews, in, in, the, in the case in this, in this context, hardness of their hearts, just God having to correct them time and time again. Here we see God correcting an entire generation. It's, it's sad on their parts, but for those who was able to enter in, hey, it, it's, it's glorified for them, and it's wonderful news. So as we've opened up to Hebrews chapter 3, uh, begin reading with me in the seventh verse. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. In the day of the trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years. Therefore I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my way. So I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Now take, remember verse 12, we're going to back up to that verse. But exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the, in the, as in the rebellion. All right, let's stop there before we get into verse 16. Notice what's being said in verses 7 through 11. We see an account. We see an account of the hardness of people's hearts. The term rebellion comes up. You know what a rebellion is? It's going against rulers, going against someone making a decision for you, and you go against that decision. And you go all in. Well, God seeing this disobedient act that the house of Israel has done as a what? As a rebellion. Because he told them to do something specific. He says they go astray in their hearts. What does it mean to go astray? To go your own way. The Bible refers in the, Old, in the New Testament time and time again about sheep. What's the characteristics of a sheep? Well, if they're left alone, they're defenseless. They are. Wolves come in and, just, and destroy them. But a goat's pretty smart. They tend to go their own way. Sheep need a shepherd. As God's sheep, we need a shepherd. We have a shepherd. It's Jesus Christ. He directs our life. He directs our path. Or he gives us choices to, to make the choices in our life to be obedient to a heavenly father. For Christ came to this earth giving us instructions 
They were not his instructions. They were the instructions from the Father. Just as in the Old Testament, we see this account of Israel had just left Egypt, had left a lifestyle of bondage, crossed the Red Sea, and now they're in the desert. And they look at Moses and say, look what you've done. You've brought us out here to die. They forgot a big ally, didn't they? They forgot God was their ally. So therefore they rebelled. They turned their own ways. No, turn, excuse me, they turned to their own ways instead of God's ways. God's ways. So he sees these things and he says he considers them a rebellion. He said, In the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works forty years. Today we see something big, we tend to remember it. You, you remember, uh, do, do you have something fresh into your minds that something big happened, whether good or bad or, or something? This, this big thing that happens. My mind goes to the, the tragic thing of the Twin Towers being struck by those airplanes. Do you remember where you were? Something big, right? We, we, uh, we tend to remember that. It was a sad time in this country. I remember exactly where I was standing. I remember what was going on around me. Again, something big happening. What about the house of Israel? This wonderful parting of the Red Sea. Stopping up the Jordan. They was commanded to take memory stones out of the middle of the Jordan as it was backed up and as it was dry. Why did they take those memory stones out? To tell their children the things that God had done for them. Israel chose to rebel against God in the wilderness. To say, look what you've done. You've left us alone. We're going to perish. God never left them alone. He was taking care of them for the whole time. I want to ask you a question. How many shoes have you ever bought in your lifetime? Ladies, you might, you might have several shoes in your closet. And I think I'm on my third pairs of boots since I worked at UAH. What, why, why do we have to continue to, wear, to buy shoes? Because they wear out. Guess what these folks' shoes, they didn't wear out. That's, that's amazing, is it not? Their, their sandals didn't wear out. God took care of them. <laughs> And they rebelled against him. Folks, God takes care of us today. More than we recognize. He's taking care of you right now. Do we show appreciation by rebelling? That's what Israel did. So what does God say? I swore in my wrath. You show God wrath with rebellion, guess what he dishes back out? Wrath. If you sow the wind, you should expect to reap the whirlwind. And that's exactly what God did. He said, you're not going to enter into my rest. You're not going to do it. 
If you're not going to be my people, if you're not going to have me fresh into your minds, if you're not going to be obedient to my commands, you're not going to enter into my rest. So therefore, verse 12 says this, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and a departing from the living God. You notice what the writer of Hebrews just said. The term departing. You know what the term departing means? It means to remove yourself from a certain scenario. As we depart, this, this more, as we departed from this morning, we removed ourselves from the building. And we went to our homes and we ate lunch and we refreshed ourselves and now we're back. We're going to depart again from this building. Lord willing, we're going to depart. So when you depart from the living God, when you sin, when you have that evil heart of disbelief, disbelief that says, I can't trust in you enough to adhere to your commands. It happened with Israel. And God sees that as wrath toward him. It is wrath toward God. The opposite of love is wrath. So if we keep his commandments, we're not going to have that evil heart of disbelief. We're skipping over a word. We're just kind of smoothing over it. The term evil. There was evil hearts continually in Genesis. You remember that? Where the hearts of men were wicked continually. That's an evil heart. This is an evil heart of disbelief. <coughs> what happened in Genesis when God seen the hearts of men were evil continually? It repented God. He was sorry that he made man. Beware. Take notice of. To stay away from. To not go down that path. Beware. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Today something happens more repetitive than we like to make mention of. Folks walking away from the church. Folks leaving the presence of God. Going their own way. We made mention of it this morning of a, of a person who, who, who went to a different congregation and they felt better. Satan can manipulate feelings. When we're taught to adhere to a specific set of instructions and we do not do those things, we don't follow those instructions, we can't go by our feelings because our feelings will it'll, they'll deceive us. Because Satan is full of deception. So if we really wanted to depart from the living God, just don't just don't obey it. But the term, the term beware is there for a purpose. There's danger. Mortal danger when we don't adhere to the instructions from our Father. We don't do those things that God tells us to do. Or in vice versa, we do those things that our Heavenly Father tells us to not do. 
In doing so, we, we remove ourselves. Isaiah 59, 2 tells us that we, we remove ourselves from the, from the presence of God, where his eyes and ears are turned no longer, he's turned away from us. We don't want to depart from the living God. In John chapter 6, previous to verse 66, Jesus says some, some hard words. He tells his disciples, those who was around him, if you don't partake of my flesh and drink of my blood, you can have no part of me. And they thought he was talking about cannibalism and drinking of his actual blood. He was not. But that's the way they took it. And they said, this is a hard saying. How can anyone follow what you're saying? And many of his disciples in verse 66 of John chapter 6 walked away from Christ and never walked with him again. They removed themselves. They departed from Christ. Condemning themselves to hear those words, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. That's terrifying. It should be terrifying. So to stay away from an evil heart of disbelieving and do not depart from the living God in verse 13, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. What does it mean to exhort? It means to lift up. It means to admonish, build up on, to exhort. How often should we do it? While it's still called today. Because tomorrow's not promised. Tomorrow may be too late. So therefore exhort one another while you have an opportunity not to wait till later. Lest any of you be hardened to the deceitfulness of sin. You know what it means to be hardened? Hardened means... Harder to move. Harder to form. Uh, concrete is a wonderful example of this. Before it hardens, you can stir concrete as it's still in its liquid form. You, know, like you, can, you can shape it, you can form it, you can mold it, you can make it whatever you want it to look like. But once it hardens, it retains that shape. It retains it. Until it's destroyed. lest any of you be hardened to the deceitfulness of sin. Today, whenever we read the scriptures, when we read our instructions and we find out new things that we haven't been doing and we need to be doing, if we're not hardened to the deceitfulness of sin, we can change. We can mold. We can make ourselves in the image of God or the image that he would have us to be. We can change. For God is the one who's shaping us through his word. And we allow ourselves to change by our faithfulness to those instructions. But the deceitfulness of sin to say, I don't need to do those things. I don't need to change. Why would I change? Several things are being taught today that's misleading and deceiving people. One of them is this. God's just going to save everybody. 
He's a loving God. That's being taught. Uh, God's own instruction through the faithful men who wrote these words down tell us that God is not going to save everybody. He's not. Because many are going to find that gate that leads to destruction. And also, many are, going to be not, many are going to not be found in the book of life. Their names aren't going to be written in. We learn their destination, the lake of fire, which is the second death. The deceitfulness of sin says, that don't exist. It does exist. But we don't have to land, we don't have to land there. We don't, we don't have to, that, that does not have to be our destiny. That doesn't have to be our destination. If you find yourself lacking in any degree of any needing some type of change, you can change. For God allowed us an opportunity of salvation. You could be the worst person here upon this planet in your eyes. You could be the worst person. God allows an escape. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses those sins, except for a couple. And those couple can't be forgiven. One of those is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And of course, the other one is suicide. Of course, that can't be repented of because you're killing yourself. So we think about changing our lives. We think about shaping our lives by God's own example. Wearing flesh, Jesus Christ left us those examples that we should be following. And stay away from the deceitfulness of sin. Because that avenue will deceive you for the very term deceitfulness of sin. And in verse 14. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Romans chapter 8. We find out from Paul that if we are faithful, we are joint heirs with Christ. Redeeming the same thing that Christ has already redeemed, everlasting life. Y'all do realize whenever, when, when Christ came to this earth, uh, teaching about the kingdom of God, he's talking about the church. He's talking about how you're to get into the church. Of course, Christ being the door is the only way you can get into the church. So he, that's what he came. He come, he come teaching about preparing ourselves for heaven. That's what church is all about. We're preparing ourselves for an eternity with God. So therefore, as we have become children of God, we're staying away from sin. We're exhorting one another. We have become partakers of Christ. If, notice what it says in 14, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Do you know what that confidence is? We learn about that confidence in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. That confidence is to say this. To know that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. To know that you have everlasting life waiting for you. That's your confidence. 
And then to the end, the rest of that verse of John, 1 John 5, 13, to continue to believe in the name of Jesus Christ, to continue to be obedient to his commands, to continue to stay steadfast with the obedience of God, our Heavenly Father, to the end. Which end is this? The end of our lives or the end of this earth? Whichever comes first. Because we don't know when it's going to be. We need to be prepared. We need to be ready. My mind goes to a uh, a couple who's fixing to have a newborn baby. Right? Due date's coming. That old belly's sticking way out there and she's ready to have that child. Just miserable. Right? Ladies, you've been there. Those who have done so, you've been there. Are, were you prepared to go to the hospital? There's like a, a go bag or whatever, so change of clothes or a few necessities for the pre preparing for the hospital, right? Ready to go at a moment's notice. And I said new parents, right? A new mom and a new dad to be. How nervous is the dad? Pins and needles, right? All the little false alarms because... I've watched my brother-in-law and sister. Of course, we were real close. I watched those false alarms happen. Out the door it goes, right? Not false. Back to the house. It's, it's just false alarm. <laughs> Two or three times. False alarm, false alarm, false alarm. And then the last one. Tell y'all how lack of confidence. We, he lost his confidence in, in, in this. And my mom was ready to strangle both of our necks. We got, here's side note, right? Here's your little bit of a break. <laughs> Shalimar is in labor. She'd probably beat me for this, but she is in labor. <laughs> so, and the doctor says, we got plenty of time. We shouldn't listen to him. We decided to go eat. We went down, to, down the street to the uh, Burger King. Went and got us some hamburgers, and on the way back, we said, hey, let's go by the Chevrolet place and look, and just, and just take a glance at the new, we just drive through and see what's going on. Yeah, we took longer than we should. Of course we did. We got distracted. And on the way back, that's back when you could open the windows at the Athens Hospital. Mom was hanging out the door and says, Y'all get up here right now. She's in labor and it's happening right now. So he shuffled off and that's where she was so mad. Mom was furious. I'll never forget that. Never forget that. They were prepared, right? All these false alarms and then lost the steadfast. If we had been steadfast... We'd have been standing there ready to go and mom hadn't wouldn't have yelled at us. Being a child of God, it's like having that go bag. You're prepared. You're ready to go at a moment's notice. Your salvation is set in your mind. You have told Satan, I don't want nothing to do with it. I know where the, I know where the deception of sin leads me. I don't want nothing to do with it. I know what it's going to cost me. I have become partakers with Christ. I have become almost equal to him in a status of the father to a son. Because as we are sons and daughters of God, in a matter of speaking, we're equal with Christ. You might say, well, wait a minute, I don't want to say that. Christ didn't count it robbery. Did he? He didn't count it robbery to be equal with God if you're obedient to him. We're all sons and daughters of Christ, excuse me, oh, sons and daughters of God, if we're obedient to our Father's commands. So as we become partakers with Christ, 
if and only if we hold fast that confidence that we've had in the beginning that led us to immersion all the way to the end. Did I say it was going to be easy? I did not. I will not. Because being a child of God is difficult. You think it's difficult now? How difficult was it in the first century where folks would have killed you? In foreign countries to this day, folks will kill you for believing in Christ. They will cast you out for believing in Christ. You will be on your own for believing in Christ, becoming a Christian, they say. Well, that's okay. Because the things we lose here upon this earth is going to be gained for us in eternity. It's going to be difficult. But we need to hold fast our confidence. In verse 15 again, while it is... While it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Again, it's said twice. Now verse 16. We're not even going to get to our lesson. I'm going to run out of time. For who, having heard, rebelled, indeed, was it not at all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses, now with whom he was angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter into his rest, but those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. What a sad time for the house of Israel, for those who couldn't enter into his rest, for whom he was angry with them because they had sinned. And failure to remind to remind themselves of the commands of God. So we see here in verse 19 that they couldn't enter into his rest because of unbelief. Now, chapter 4 of Hebrews. Now we can jump into our lesson. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. So we see the house of Israel being led out of Egypt by Moses, God allowing this to happen, for he tells Moses that it... Y'all remember their first encounter, right? That, that, that conversation that God was having with Moses. He said, Moses, I'm going to need you to go to Egypt to have my people released. You remember what Moses said? Well, I'm not an eloquent speaker. I don't speak well. Send somebody else. That's none send you. If I'm going to speak through you. And he does some things through the power of God to convince Pharaoh to let the house of Israel go. All the way to the point of the firstborn being lost. A firstborn male child being lost in each household. led all the way through the wilderness and a whole generation had to perish. The children of those who left Egypt was the ones who was allowed to enter into the promised land. Forty years. It says through their disobedience, through their lack of belief, through their unbelief, they wasn't going to enter into his rest. Therefore, since a promise 
remains of entering his rest. We have work to do here upon this earth. We have tasks to do that God has told us to do. To be a child of God means work. It means work. We may mention that in Bible class this morning. The work is there. We have to, we have to do the work. When we go home from our jobs, well, we used to go home to your job. Y'all remember those days, right? Yeah. <laughs> All the retired folks in the room. So when you when you get done with your job, you would go home, what would you do? A lot of folks say, well, I'd keep working. At night, what would you do? Rest. You'd take your shower and you would rest. And you would go to sleep and get started for the next day. That's rest, is it not? How welcoming was that rest? Hard day of labor at work and maybe even on the farm. All this stuff has gotten accomplished. Of course, more to do. And then you lay down and you get that rest. You replenish yourself. How welcoming is that being? After a long, hard days of work, you might not even remember head hitting the pillow just off to sleep because you're that tired and exhausted. God offers a much better rest than that. Why can we say that? Because that rest that you get at night is temporal. Daylight next morning, you got to go and hit it again, right? Every day. God's rest is eternal. For the work that we're putting in today, we're yearning for that rest with God. Well, we shall be His people, and He shall be our God. And our minds and our hearts and our focus will be on Him forever. Doesn't that sound inviting? That sounds wonderful. I don't think of anything, I can't think of anything here upon this earth that could beat that. But let us fear, let us fear this, that we come short of it. You ever come short of something? Time and time again. I'm going to use myself as an example again because I won't put nobody out. I had my pickup truck fixed once. And I was at the dealership, that's the only ones who would touch it. And it cost me $855.12 to replace a clutch in that truck. I like to hit the floor of my unbelief of what that young lady did. I asked her to repeat it. What did you say? I didn't have that kind of money on me. I didn't. Thankfully, I had an, I had a credit card for emergency. That was an emergency, and I paid on that thing. For, nevertheless. I came short of it, right? To pick that truck up, I had to fill that bill. I came short of it. I was unprepared for that price. I'm still unprepared for that price. It's too much. When it comes to salvation, we don't need to come short. We need to be prepared. We need to be ready for that great day. To hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. But in your mind, you may be saying, you know what? That evil heart exists, and I've departed from God. I know there's a lot of people out there in the world have, are, are, doing, are doing this right now. They have an evil heart. In the eyes of God, they have an evil heart because they have departed from God. They don't believe in Him. They don't trust in His Son. When we believe in God and we trust in Jesus Christ, we do those things God would have us to do. Not only today, but tomorrow and the next day and the next day. All the way until 
Jesus Christ comes. And when we are found, Christ being our life, when Christ appears, guess we will appear with him in glory. Colossians 3, 4. So we see a promise of rest for the house of Israel, those who do not faint, those who do not fall short. And in verse 2, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said, so I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. So back up in verse 2, so they, they heard God's instructions and they, they, they understood what they were supposed to do. They forgot to put something with it, their faith. You might, somebody might ask you, well, what does faith do for you? It allows rest. Mixed with God's instructions and putting those instructions into, into action, that's what your faith is. Trusting in God, believing that He's there, believing in His instructions, and believing that heaven is there waiting for the children of God. But it didn't profit them none because they didn't mix it with faith. And verse 3 is an encouragement. For we who have believed do enter that rest. I want to ask you a question tonight. Do you believe in God? Now, that's not, that's not saying, do you believe that He really does exist? That's not, what, that's not this question. This belief is an action. Do you believe in God? Do you put His, do you put his instructions, do you put his, his mandates, do you put the things that He has told you to do into action, into your life? One of those is the beginning of your faith, the one that we're supposed to hold fast until the end of your immersion. Have you been baptized for the remission of sins? If you're hearing this lesson and if you're encouraged to do so, please don't wait, don't hesitate. That's how you put Christ on. That's how you get your sins washed away. But the ones who I'm looking at tonight in the audience have done so. We've taken some steps since then. We've had plenty of opportunities to tell God, I'm going to show you wrath. We have. Don't show God wrath. Turn away from that evil heart. Allow yourself to be pliable, that is, soft. Don't have a hardened heart. Be a, have a soft heart. Change your ways if need be. That is, to step away from a sinful heart, sinful life, sinful way of doing everything and turn to God. Just because you've been immersed doesn't automatically mean that salvation waits for you. Now, I know a lot of folks are going to disprove that, but read far in your Bible. Don't take man's word for it. Look at God's word. And it disproves that idea. We can lose our salvation if we turn our hearts and turn our backs to God. Don't do so. Be saved be saved today. While it's still today. Do you need to turn back to God? Do you need baptism? Do you need repentance? Why do so? Why wait as we stand and we sing a song?
of invitation.